Listening to Keeping It Real right here on Castbox. Thank you for joining us this morning. We're going to get right into the big news, of course, Iran and all of that. Let's just go ahead and start off by listening to a heightened alert that came out from the Homeland Security Department. Acting Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf telling the country in a rare Saturday statement that his agency is in an enhanced security posture following the killing of the Iranian general. And his agency warning, quote, an attack in the homeland may come with little or no warning. Already evidenced, stepped up security at key locations in major cities like New York. Heightened vigilance in terms of uniformed officers, many with long guns at sensitive areas, critical structures. And while no specific threat has been identified, law enforcement officials telling ABC News, Iran does have potential assets inside the United States. So Iran, they did vow to attack. And they're a serious type of people. They're not going to just throw that out. They have some plans in the pipe. That's for sure. So what we have to do is we have to understand what is going on in our world today so we don't get lost in confusion. This has been going on for quite some time with Iran. It goes back clear to the 50s, you know, and if we really dig back to that time, we can understand a little bit more. Today, we're not going to go back clear to the 50s, but we are going to touch on the Islamic Revolution when Khomeini came into power in Iran. That's a very important time frame in our history. The president in charge during that time, Jimmy Carter, and a lot of things happened during that little time frame that we know now as the Islamic revolution. And it's really critical that we understand why it took place 
and how the Iranian people really feel about what is going on. America, at that time, we kind of controlled a puppet master, if you will, the leader of Iran. And they didn't like it. They revolted. And this is what we have today because of it. This is an eight-minute, nine-minute little clip about 1979 and the Islamic Revolution. Let's go ahead and listen in to this. 4th of November, 1979. The American flag fluttered above Tehran. Even on that morning, students were marching in front of the American embassy, protesting against the sworn enemy. We were really scared. It was 99% sure that the security people of the embassy would shoot us. The attack came absolutely unexpectedly for the employees of the embassy. The protests had been going on for weeks, but till then, there had been no violence involved. I looked out my window, I saw um, young Iranians with posters of Khomeini climbing over the walls of the embassy and trying to get through the gates of the embassy. That day for me was uh, the most horrendous day in my life. That day, American diplomats became the hostages of the Islamic Revolution. Hostages of the revolution, which had started a year before, and which was against the tyrant Shah, also supported by the Americans. It was always going to be our man in Iran. Iran was going to be our country. Iran was going to be the source of our oil. Iran was going to be the source of customers for our military supplies. And Iran was also going to protect us in its own way against the Soviet Union. The Shah avenged the protests against his country with a firm hand. America shut its eyes to the bloody sanctions and granted the Allied dictator too much respect. To many Iranians, America is very responsible for the Shah's crime and tyranny. The antipode of the Shah, Ayatollah Khomeini, lived in proscription in France. The ideological leader ruled the people's rebellion of the Shahids from afar with success. In January 1979, the Shah's West-oriented government could not resist pressure from the street. The ruler went abroad with his family. At the same time, preparations began for the homecoming celebration of Mahdi, the Redeemer in Tehran. He became very soon the symbol. He was able to strongly and deeply communicate with the masses in the street. And he was able to know what is the, the deep uh, complaint and grievances against the Shah and against the foreign domination. The Shah, beset by cancer, was looking for shelter with his old friends. The United States of America granted entry in November 1979. He was admitted for treatment to a hospital in New York. America, the protector of the Shah, was a symbol of the devil for Islamic revolutionists. The occupation of the embassy was a reaction to America's action. The entry permit of the Shah meant a crime against the revolution for us. 
در فکر برحال توته چینی علیه انقلاب Thousands of fanatic students assailed the building of the embassy. They wanted to take vengeance for the dictator's shameful actions. They thought that they will be martyred. They were ready to die. I mean, once they decided to go up the walls. But the situation turned out completely differently. Embassy employees did not show resistance. They had automatic weapons. I demanded that they leave my office. They said in Farsi to shut my mouth and that I was now uh, a, a captive. They showed their hostages to the whole world. According to reports, Khomeini was surprised about the attacks against the American embassy. The militants had played a lone hand. We closed them into the bedroom and other rooms in a way so that we could control them. We separated the men from each other. The hostages were still hoping. A tense waiting period. Then psychoterror. I was told by one of the guards who put this cold um, automatic weapon to my head that if I don't answer the questions within 10 seconds, I will be executed right there and then. Secret documents were destroyed at the last minute. The attackers were putting them together indefatigably. Valuable data for the revolutionists. The chase started throughout the country after those mentioned in the secret documents. Many people paid with their lives. Khomeini superbly used uh, the hostage-taking in solidifying the power within the hands of the clergies. At this moment, there are 50 Americans who don't have freedom, who don't have joy, who don't have warmth, who don't have their families with them. The hostages were able to celebrate Christmas Eve, but they were no longer expecting a quick end to their situation. It made Americans feel like they were weak. But at the same time, it brought back a sense of cohesion and pride that we had lost with Vietnam. 10th of April, 1980. Eight American military helicopters departed from an aircraft carrier stationed near the Indian Ocean to rescue the hostages. Waiting. The hostage drama went on for 172 days. Then the news. The action was a flop. Even before the action, two helicopters had crashed. Eight soldiers had been killed. The Americans explained the action as a humanitarian action. However, everything which was planned in the United States of America was aggressive. September 1980, Iraqi military units attacked neighboring Iran. Bloody fights in the Bay brought new developments in the hostages' cases as well. They had a full-scale war going on with Iraq. They suddenly needed all of the diplomatic connections, all of the arms supplies, all of the suppliers that they had thought were of no account, and they needed them desperately and immediately. Shortly thereafter, Jimmy Carter lost the elections in America. This brought the breakthrough in the hostage drama. The Mullah government made a deal with Algerian intermediates about releasing the hostages. 
The hostages were released after 444 days of captivity. What the crisis really did in the long run was to make Islam, especially Iranian Islam, the demonic uh, notion that that we're all facing today. I had received word officially that the aircraft had cleared the Iranian airspace on the first first leg of a journey home, and that every one of the 52 hostages was alive, was well, and free. America had to pay eight million dollars to release the hostages. Fifty-two people returned from Tehran, a personal victory for a defeated president. So that was a very interesting time in America. If you were alive during that period, you know it was a very tense time, and a lot of people. We're worried about war. It's a different time, and I'll tell you, Iran is a total different place now. How close are they to the bomb? It's a good question to ask, and there are a lot of interesting topics going to be coming out in the next few weeks about Iran as the tensions rise. And hostilities form. The great leader over there was tearfully praying over the casket of Soleimani's. There are retaliations coming down the pipe. Where, when, who knows? We'll just have to wait and see. There's a lot coming. And there's a lot of uncertainty in the air right now. We need to take a chill pill, people. Let's not escalate our minds, because when we do that, we escalate tensions. We need to slow down, and we need to understand. We don't always need to be so excited and worried about war. It is what it is. And we have to be at ease with ourselves about these things. America has always done some things that are out of the realm of normal thinking. This is nothing new. We have a leader right now, Mr. Trump, that felt that now is the time to act. I don't know if I disagree or agree with him yet. Because I am still weighing this out in my mind. This is a very tense situation that we're in. That's for sure, and very uncertain. The reaction of Iran. Well, it's something right now. There are a lot of mad people. Of course, this was a leader that was devout, a leader that was loved by the people. We have to understand, anger causes people to do some dramatic things in their life, and when you're fundamentalist or terrorist-minded, well, there are 
risks that are unmeasured to some of these people. They'll strap on a vest and come blow you up. <laughs> you know, it's nothing new in what we've been seeing over the last 20 years here. Iran's been a problem for quite some time. Now, the people of Iran and the government of Iran, totally different, as is with America. The government is not always in accord with its people. So we've got to understand that. It's up to the people to understand what is going on in their world. So take some time and really understand why they feel this way. Why are we acting the way we are? And a lot of people just jump to, well, it's oil. And that could be. I don't want to answer that yes or no. I want to wait and see what the full picture is before I jump to any conclusions. I know that Iran has been pushing buttons for quite some time. I'm surprised they haven't blocked the Straits of Hermes already. This this is one of those areas I'm watching right now to find out what are they going to do. You know, they have all of them little speedboats and they can very easily run up alongside of a big tanker and sink it right there in the middle of the Straits. So there are re- retaliations that can happen and if the block of the straits happen there's a lot of oil that runs through that area that's going to disrupt the supply there's a lot of things that can happen iran does have people over here and they love iran still we've got to realize Iran's not stupid. You know, this is where university came from. These people have been thought leaders for years. They are not a third world country. They have the capabilities to understand, think, and do. They're over there with centrifuges right now, spinning at full capacity. I guarantee it. And, you know, if they get in with like North Korea, Russia, China, that is something to worry about. We've been on this crash course for quite some time because of what we have done. Our political structure has led us down the road to this point. And sorry to say it, but I think Mr. Trump should be addressing some of these very hard issues in the world today. And that's why I'm watching very close. 2020, it's a political election year. So there's going to be a lot of hype, a lot of stupidity. We want to slow down. Think about everything that's being said this year. Caution. Caution, my friends. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, there's some warnings out of the State Department 
Mike Pompeo. Let's see. What? So let's go over here and listen to Secretary Pompeo. And he just gave a speech on human rights and the Iranian regime. It's not too long. Let's listen to it so we can understand our thought on this issue of Iran. And remember, it was said that the guise was humanitarian effort. So this is another way we do business around the world. We use humanitarian effort a lot. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not. It is what it is, people. Grow up and be truthful with yourself and speak truth no matter what it is. And that's important. Today's politics have us polarized. Be an independent thought person. Lead with your independent thought. Don't get caught up in partisan politics. Democrat, Republican, do away with that. Do your thinking yourself and don't vote down party lines because if we vote party lines, it can be very devastating for a lot of people. Let's go listen to Mike Pompeo here. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. How are you all doing today? Everybody good? It's an important day here at the State Department and I appreciate you all joining us. Bob, thanks for the kind introduction uh, and I'm delighted to welcome you all here. Uh, to the United States Department of State. I'm especially happy uh, to host our friends from the Iranian diaspora. Your success is living proof of what the Iranian people can do when their full potential is unleashed. And of course, I want to give a special welcome too to the brave Iranians in the audience who have suffered and survived regime persecution. Thank you all for joining me here today. Uh, it's humbling and an honor for me to see you all here. I love the diversity of the audience we've got here today, members of Congress. Uh, we've got folks from all across the non-governmental organization community uh, who are working on important issues related to the Islamic Republic of Iran. We've got people from all across the foreign policy community. Uh, so many of our Department of State team members, uh, folks from the diplomatic corps, thank you all for being here. I think the diverse group and the size and scale of the audience today uh, tells us a lot about the willingness of the world to join the United States in supporting Iranian voices and Iranian dreams. Uh, when we do this, we will be upholding America's legacy as the world's greatest champion of liberty, as we've been since our founding. When we do this too, we're telling the Iranian people that they have friends across the world and in America seeking justice for wrongs that have been done to them. Indeed, it's those very injustices, those human rights abuses that the regime commits against its own people that brings us all together today and what I want to spend a few minutes talking with you about. Uh, I have a message for the leaders of the regime. If you seek to recover respect from your people and from the world, if you seek stability and prosperity for a once great nation, you must respect the commitments that you've made. You must respect human rights. This symposium, this gathering, could not come at a more timely moment. 
the protests that started and accelerated in November clearly signaled the Iranian people have just had enough. They're fed up. They're fed up with the regime's economic failures. They're fed up with the kleptocrats. And they're fed up with the regime that denies them basic fundamental human dignity that comes from each of us as the nature of our humanness. It's not one age group. It's not one class or gender lifting their voices. It's female students in Tehran. It's teachers in Mashhad. It's younger men in Mershar. One of those young men was Puya Bakhtiare. Puya was an electrical engineer full of life who loved singing the Elvis song, Can't Help Falling in Love with You. Uh, and he was sick of what he called criminal and corrupt uh, Iranian leadership. Last month, he joined his countrymen on the streets in protest. Puya's mother, Nahid, went to the protest with him. They promised that they would hold hands to stay together. But as you've watched the videos, you've seen there was chaos. And when the security forces started attacking a crowd, the crowd, they became separated. Then Nahid experienced every parent's worst nightmare. She saw fellow protesters holding her son's lifeless body. He'd been shot in the head by security forces of the Iranian regime. Today, Nahid grieves with so many other parents, so many other amazing people across Iran. But she also says, now Puya's ideals are mine. I want to witness and celebrate the freedom of the people of Iran. Today, many Iranians like Nahid are angry. It's a feeling that's been building for an awfully long time. The Ayatollah and his band of thugs that planted the roots of their rage 40 years ago are going to have to change. In 1979, in their mad zeal, they imposed the Islamic Republic Revolution on the open-minded, entrepreneurial, and amazing Iranian people. To this day, the Iranian regime is desperate to control ideas, to control speech, and indeed to control life itself. Just a few examples from the last year. Three women handed out flowers on the Tehran Metro on International Women's Day in March. They weren't wearing the hijab. The regime sentenced them to between 16 and 23 years in prison for propaganda against the state and for moral corruption. Two months later in May, the Iranian government banned religious minorities from working at child care centers with Muslim children. The Community to Protect Journalists reported just this past week, just a few days ago, that there are 11 journalists currently imprisoned in Iran. Iran's intelligence ministry is on a campaign of intimidation against elderly family members of Iranian journalists. These, these handful of examples are but a glimpse a glimpse into 40 years of regime disrespect for its people. It's disrespect that destabilizes Iran's internal order. It's disrespect that weakens its economy and makes Iran a pariah state in the eyes of freedom-loving people all across the world. Two, there's a towering hypocrisy in this mistreatment. So many of the regime's human rights violations defy its own domestic laws. Forty years ago this month, the regime adopted the current Iranian constitution. It's still in effect. Article 9 of the constitution says that no individual group or authority has the right to infringe in the slightest way upon the political, cultural, economic, and military independence or the territorial integrity 
of Iran. But as protesters in Iraq and Lebanon are saying, this is precisely what Iran has done to them. What enormous hypocrisy. Article 14 of that same constitution says that the government of the Islamic Republic of Iran and all Muslims are duty-bound to treat non-Muslims in conformity with ethical norms and to respect their human rights. But Jews and Christians and Zoroastrians, all legally recognized faith groups in Iran, are denied their full freedoms. With Christmas just uh, a week away, I can't help think of Victor Bet Tamraz. He's a Christian pastor whose home was raided during a Christmas celebration almost five years ago. He and his wife and his son are all out on bail pending, or excuse me, on bail appealing prison sentences. I'm glad his daughter, Dabrina, is with us here today. Dabrina, thank you for being with us. You know, that same document, that same constitution says that all people of Iran, whatever ethnic group or tribe to which they belong, enjoy equal rights. But the regime treats so many ethnic, uh, ethnic minorities in Iran as second or third class citizens. Article 27 of the Constitution allows for public gatherings and marches, but it's when, when citizens speak up that the regime's hammer really comes down. Think of the, think of the thousands. You all, you all know them. Think of the thousands of Iranians executed in prison following protest in 1988. The students that were slaughtered in the protest in 1999. And then think of the protests in 2009. We all recall the, the cries of, where is my vote? Uh, those protesters were met with more bloodshed and sentences to serve, to be served out in places like Evan Prison. You know, it's the same story today. The regime has killed hundreds and hundreds of protesters since mid-November, uh, possibly more than a thousand. Had the regime cut off the internet basic communication tool to try and stop the world uh, to see the horrors that were taking place inside of their country. I can't imagine, but does the re regime really think that this is the path that leads to prosperity and strength? I think not. I think they know differently. I asked the same question on Iran's infidelity to its international obligations and commitments. Iran's a founding member of the International Labor Organization. But the regime steals money, drains their pensions. This money is taken from the citizens for their use to take care of their families and turns it into, well, into shell casing in the sands of Syria and Yemen. The labor organizers, labor organizers are rounded up and imprisoned and tortured. The Universal Declaration of Human Rights states that no one shall be subject to torture or to arbitrary arrest, detention, or exile. But think of the Baha'is, the Sunni minorities, or, or even non-religious persons in Iran who continually face prison and torture and execution for their faith, their basic belief system. Two, Iran is party to the International Convention on Civil and Political Rights. Sounds ironic almost to say it. Uh, yet Iran permits the use of the death penalty for girls starting at age nine and boys of age 13. Indeed, two 17-year-old boys were reportedly secretly executed just this past year. And we've seen protesters gunned down at random on the streets in just the last 30 days. 
we grieve to see a calloused and corrupt elite disrespect an ancient and proud people. We grieve to see the Iranian nation sink further into a pit of poverty because of unjust rulers. But as difficult as the situation is, as I have just recounted, and I have only scratched the surface, it's not hopeless. The Iranian people have a steadfast friend, and they are good people, and they have spirit. The friend is a unique North Star for hope for all those oppressed and their voice, their writings, their faith, and their ideals. The United States will stand and has stood under President Trump with the Iranian people. Our public support, our moral support is important. Our calls for justice matter. A call for a normal nation with a real economy for accountability. It's unfortunate that in 2009, when the opportunity arose, Americans did not do that. It's not political. This is about the best and what we want for the Iranian people. Uh, look, the appeasement of the regime simply will not work. We've done something completely different in the administration. We've asked the Iranian people to send us evidence of regime brutality. We're bringing to light what the Ayatollahs are desperate to keep in the dark. So far, we've received more than 36,000 pieces of information, and we're working each and every one of them. We've heard these stories. Saudi of Shiraz. A Lord who lays waste to the hearts of his people will only see in dreams the prosperity he wants for his domain. And to show that we mean what we say today, I'm announcing several new actions in support of the Iranian people. First, I have uh, redesignated Iran as a country of particular concern under the International Religious Freedom Act. The world should know Iran is among the worst violators of basic fundamental religious freedoms. Second, today, the United States Department of Treasury will sanction two Iranian judges, Mohammed Mogisha and Abolghassem Salavati. <laughs> among, the, among the, among the highness acts that Mogisha sentenced did was to sentence Nasreen Sutada, 
a human rights lawyer and a woman's rights defender to 33 years in prison and to 148 lashes. And Salavati sentenced an American citizen, Xiuwe Wang, for 10 years in prison on false charges of espionage. We're glad we won Xiuwe's release, but he should have never been sentenced or jailed in the first place. Salavati has sentenced hundreds of political prisoners. He's the go-to guy. He sentenced journalists and human rights activists to prison or worse, to death. He's a tool of the regime's oppression, not an impartial friend of justice. And today, he's now sanctioned by the United States of America. Third. Third, under the Immigration National, uh, Nationality Act, we're restricting visas for current or former Iranian officials and individuals responsible for or complicit in the abuse, detention, or killing of peaceful protesters, or for inhibiting their rights to freedom of expression or assembly. Our action will also restrict visas for these individuals' family members. The materials that are being provided to us by citizens from all across Iran will be invaluable in us using this new authority to put true pressure and to hold accountable those who are denying freedom and justice to the people of Iran. Thugs, thugs killing people's children will not be allowed to send their own children to study in the United States of America. These are serious measures, they're thoughtful measures, that took us a little bit of time to get to the right place. But I, I, want, I want the people of Iran to know that it, it doesn't have to be this way. If the, if the regime in Iran respects the rights of all Iranians, it abides by its commitments, it can win back respect from its own citizens. It can shed the black label of being an outlaw regime in the eyes of the world. And very importantly, it can enjoy sustained prosperity and peace for its people as well. I think the leaders must know that their people are demanding it. The path to prosperity for each country begins at home. And when leaders of sovereign nations put their interests and the interests of their citizens first, our collective future will be brighter. Our, our, our people will be happier. Basic freedoms will be respected. Our partnerships will be stronger. Just, just think of what could happen between our two countries. The president talks of this often. Uh, one day, the locks on the doors of the Iranian embassy here in Washington could be cut off. One day, Iran Air could fly direct to Los Angeles or to Houston. Everyone should suffer LAX. <laughs> one day, one day, our leaders could receive one another in goodwill and not as adversaries. What a moment that would be when we could reach those times. I pray and I hope that this day comes soon. We, along with you all, are working to make this happen. And I hope that the regime will soon see its path clear to permitting this to happen. But no matter what, I tell the Iranian people what I have said for many months and I will continue to say so long as it is required to be said. America hears you. America supports you. America stands with you. We do so for your sake, for the sake of freedom, for the sake of basic human dignity, 
for the sake of respect. Thank you all for being here today. May God bless the people of Iran, and may God bless the people of the United States of America. Thank you. Well, there you have it. That's our first clip of Mr. Pompeo. These are important things to understand what's going on over in Iran. Iran has a hostile regime inside running its government right now. It's been that way for 40 years. As a matter of fact, this month is the anniversary of that hostile takeover over there at the embassy when those 52 hostages were taken. If you were alive during that period, you can remember that was one heck of an ordeal. I remember as a young man watching that on the television and thinking, oh my, what's going to happen to those people? The fear and anxiety that can run through children's minds when things like this happen, it's tremendous. You need to talk to your children and reassure them that we have things under control. We're not always the best, but we care, and that's what matters. Sometimes you have to redefine your plans. Sometimes you have to coalesce with others and come up with a plan. There's always room for improvement no matter who or what you are. We've been dealing with hostile people around the world for a long time. Since the end of World War II, we took on a role of this police officer. I don't necessarily agree with that, but there are these people around the world that wants to do harm, not only to us, but to others. And there has to be a way to keep these people from harming others. And we here in America, we're a constitutional republic, and we believe in the rule of law. And we have spread that constitutional value throughout the world since the end of World War II. Regime change? I don't know if I agree with that. You know, I'm not in the State Department. I'm not in the upper levels of government. So I'm not privy to those briefings, those details that are secret. We, as American people, have to rely on those that we put in office. It's critical. So this year is a major election cycle, the more people that get to the ballot and vote for their choice, the better off we are. You know, I find it pretty odd the percentage of people in America that will not take the time to step in and vote. It's critical. This government that we run is for and by the people. And that's something unique. That's special. That freedom rings throughout the world, and it has for years. Sure, we've messed up. We've done a lot of wrong. 
But look at the right that we've done around the world. People are not starving as much around the world because of the initiatives taken by America. If we did not step in at the end of World War II, what would have happened? The liberation of Europe was very important. I do not question that one bit. The tactics being used by Hitler and Stalin. Now, we've got to remember Russia, they're not clean players at anything, really. I have nothing against Russia, but they're a foreign entity, and we must keep our eye open at all times for any intrusion into our government, into our political system. These accusations, they could be warranted. Who knows? We've got to watch that. Pay attention. As a citizen, be vigilant and be cautious on what you believe. Don't always believe the first thing you hear. I have another clip here about Mike Pompeo where he's defending President Trump's tweet threatening the 52 Iranian sites. Let's give this a listen. Joining me now, the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. Mr. Secretary, thanks so much uh, for joining us this morning. Uh, let's start about this new threat from uh, President Trump. Is the tweet accurate? Is the U.S. really preparing to hit non-military cultural targets in Iran, which would obviously possibly result in civilian threats and almost certainly violate a U.N. resolution that the U.S. voted for in 2017. Jake, thanks for having me on this morning. Uh, President Trump has been resolute. Uh, we will continue to be. We will defend America. The strikes we took over this past week, including uh, killing the terrorist Soleimani, uh, we will continue to take if we need to. If we need to defend American interests, we will do so. What President Trump said last night is consistent with what we have said all along. Uh, Iranian proxy forces in Iraq have thought that they could act with impunity and that if they acted, we wouldn't take strikes against Iran proper. We've made clear, we've made clear four months to the Iranian regime that that wouldn't be the case, that we were going to hold responsible the actors, the leaders who took these actions and who orchestrated these actions. President Trump's tweet last night made clear we will continue to do that, and the American people should know we will always defend them, and we'll do so in a way that is consistent with the international rule of law and the American Constitution. We've done it before. We will do it again. Well, you're saying two different things there, sir, uh, with all due respect, because President Trump's threat on Iranian cultural uh, centers uh, or centers of uh, interest to the Iranian culture uh, would not be in accordance uh, with international law. So which is it? Uh, Jake, they're not two different things. Uh, I've been with President Trump through the entire strategic planning process related to our entire campaign, diplomatic, economic, and military. We've built out an enormous coalition to push back against the Islamic Republic of Iran and its Iran and its kleptocratic regime. The American people should know that we will not waver. We will uh, be bold in protecting American interests, and we'll do so in a way that's consistent with the rule of law. Uh, we've always done that. Jake and President Trump's tweet doesn't deviate from that one iota. So cultural centers are theoretically fair targets in your view? Jake, we're going to do the things that are right and the things that are consistent with American law. I've, I've, been, I've been part of the discussion planning process. Everything I've seen about how we will respond with great force and great vigor if the Iranian leadership makes a bad decision. We hope that they won't. But when they do, America will respond. 
You've said you hope that this strike de-escalates the situation. Uh, President Trump is, is obviously now threatening in capital letters to hit Iran very fast and very hard. That does not seem like de-escalation. Jake, we're trying to restore deterrence that, uh, frankly, uh, is a need that results directly from the fact that the previous administration left us in a terrible place with respect to the Islamic Republic of Iran. Uh, Team Obama appeased Iran, and it led to Shia militias with money, Hamas, the PIJ, hundreds of thousands of Syrians killed by Soleimani himself. Uh, this was the place we found ourselves when we came in, and we have developed a strategy to attempt to convince the Iranian regime to behave like a normal nation. That's what our strategy is about. We've been executing it. We will continue to do so. We have every expectation that we'll ultimately achieve that goal. Do you think President Trump threatening to attack 52 sites uh, in Iran, one for each one of the Iranian hostages, I mean, the American hostages taken by Iran in 1979 is, is de-escalating, is providing an, an off-ramp for the Iranians? We, we've provided them clear guidance about what it is we have as an expectation. We have worked with them. We've tried to have conversations with them. It is important that they understand that America will no longer behave the way that it did during the Obama-Biden administration. We will no longer appease. We'll no longer tolerate. Frankly, this war kicked off. People talk about the war. This war kicked off when the JCPOA was entered into. It told the Iranians that they had free reign to develop a Shia crescent that extended from Yemen to Iraq to Syria and into Lebanon, surrounding our ally Israel and threatening American lives as well. We've taken a very different approach. That approach has been successful. There's obviously more work to do, Jake. The Trump administration is privately warning members of Congress that Iran is expected to retaliate within weeks. Here's just some of what's happened in the last 72 hours. The U.S. has told all Americans to immediately leave Iraq. The U.S. is sending thousands of additional U.S. service members from the 82nd Airborne to Kuwait. Soleimani's deputy has been appointed to replace him. Uh, the German government has raised its threat level. The British Navy is now accompanying U.K. ships in the Strait of Hormuz. The U.S. is bracing for possible Iranian cyber attacks. That You've said that, quote, the world is a much safer place today, unquote. Now, I can see you making the argument that the world will be safer in the long term. But how can you say we're safer today, given the increased and heightened threat level? Jake, my, my reference is very clear to the strategy that the Trump administration had laid out. Uh, the Middle East was unstable. We are creating a place and an opportunity for that stability. We've done so by building out coalitions. We've done so working alongside our friends and partners. We've done so by making it very clear to the Islamic Republic of Iran that we weren't going to accept their rogue behavior in the way the previous administration did. We're going to protect and defend the American people. I am convinced. And I think General Milley had it right. He said we would have been culpably negligent had we not taken that stride against terrorist Soleimani. We'll continue to do those things that reduce risk to America. I know that the risk to America over the long run is much reduced as a result of the actions President Trump and our administration has taken in these last three years. Okay, that's in the long run, but I'm talking about the short term. Let me ask you just a question. Do you know for a fact that the mission that Soleimani was working on, you say, the attacks that you say he was planning, have they been called off, those attacks? We're prepared for anything the Islamic Republic of Iran may do, Jake. Uh, there are clearly actors that go beyond Soleimani. That's why we're still doing the work we're doing. That's why we're still preparing. It's why we're still flowing forces to the region. It's why we're doing all the things we're doing, building out our coalition, making sure our partners are defending our embassies and diplomatic facilities and military installations all throughout the region. It's why you saw the statement that was put up by DHS. We're getting prepared in the event that the Islamic Republic of Iran leadership makes a bad decision. 
Let's talk about why you carried out the strike, the intelligence behind it all. Some members of Congress and others who have been briefed on the intelligence say they have not seen sufficient evidence to conclude that the attack you refer to, the attack on Americans, was actually imminent, uh, as you have claimed. When do you plan to share evidence with Congress, with the American people, to, to clear up any questions here? Well, the intelligence has been shared with leaders in Congress already, and we'll continue to share that. Uh, we'll go up to Capitol Hill and brief them uh, yet again this week, I expect. Uh, but the American people have the evidence right in front of their eyes. Uh, we don't have to guess about what Soleimani was up to. We know what he did on December 27th. He killed an American. And we know what he's done for years and years and years, killed hundreds of Americans. There's no need to guess about what Soleimani would have been up to the day after and the day after and the day after. This was a bad guy. We took him from the battlefield. We saw that he was plotting further plans to take down Americans, in some cases, many Americans. We took the right action to defend and protect America. President Trump will never shy away from that. When you say the attacks were imminent, how imminent were they? Were we talking about days? Were we talking about weeks? If you're an American in the region, days and weeks, this is not something that's relevant. We have to prepare. We have to be ready. And we took a bad guy off the battlefield. I, we made the right decision. There is less risk today to American forces in the region as a result of that attack. I'm proud of the effort that President Trump undertook and the execution by our military was phenomenal. And the work that's been done by our diplomats in the region to prepare and to work diplomatically in the region has been powerful, important, and effective. I, I keep coming back to the fact that you keep saying it's safer now, even at the same time that the U.S. government is telling all Americans to leave Iraq. I mean, I, again, I understand the idea that in the long term, the you region don't, you don't seem could to, be Jake. safe. Well, you don't see, you don't seem to understand that. You know, oftentimes I've heard you say, Jake, America thinks just about the moment, doesn't think about the long term strategic implications. This administration, I've certainly this said administration, that about leaders of this country. Yes, sir. This administration is thinking about exactly that. We are setting the conditions for successful and safe America, prosperous America at home, secure America abroad. This is our Middle East strategy. It's what we've done over these last three years in Iraq in pushing back against the Islamic Republic of Iran. We will not stray from that course, Jake. I, I do want to ask you, because there does seem to be a disconnect here. Uh, but President Trump, uh, according to polling, a majority of the American people uh, have never considered him honest, have never considered him trustworthy. This is the American people, not me. OK, and there is this credibility gap. In addition, obviously, this nation has heard leaders whether it's blaming a YouTube video uh, for the attacks on the embassy in Benghazi or WMD in Iraq, people have heard this government, the government of the United States, say things to them that, that were not true when it comes to the war. Do you understand that there might be a special responsibility to provide proof and evidence to the American people of the imminence of the attack, of the need to carry out the mission that you carried out? Jake, I, I do understand the power that we have. Uh, and the need that we have to try and share with the American people everything we possibly can about why it is we're taking the actions that we take. And we'll do that. We'll continue to do everything we can, consistent with protecting our sources and our methods and our, importantly, our capacity to continue to see and to understand what's going on and presenting threats. We don't want to risk that intelligence. I spent a little bit of time as the director of the Central Intelligence Agency. We never want to put that at risk. Uh, but as a secretary of state, I also know my solemn obligation to make sure we share with the American people everything we can about why it is we're taking the actions and how it is we expect that we will deliver to protect and defend America each and every day, Jake. Get her done, huh? That's Mike Pompeo. Uh, I'm telling you, there is a big difference in our leadership from what we spent with the Obama administration. 
Now, I respect the seat of the presidency, so I'm not going to dish on an ex-president, but let me tell you, I did not agree with how the previous administration handled Iran. I am very impressed with the current administration and how they are choosing to handle the situations around the world. Very impressed. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. I vote straight down the middle. I'm a very independent person. I think for myself and I draw my own conclusions. I do not vote party lines. That is ridiculous. Mr. Trump, I am impressed. I might even vote for you this round. I I don't know yet, but by golly, the way you are doing business around the world, I am impressed. I get a lot of flack for that, but that's all right. Call me Leatherneck. All right, because whenever you come up to this microphone and you put your opinion out, well, you're going to take some hits. And believe me, through the years, I've taken a lot of hits for my opinion. I'm an American. I love to be opinionated. Am I always right? No, 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 no. I wish I could be right all the time. The world would be a very lovely place. But anyway, we live in a very dangerous world. There are a lot of bad players in the game that we call life. And we have to be able to stand up to it. That's what Americans do. We don't back down. We don't pay off people. We take care of business when it needs to be taken care of. When that business is done, we should pack our luggage come back home. Let's take care of America. But yes, let's remain vigilant around the world. It's critical. But all of these bad players trying to push buttons and manipulate America for their own wealth and their own purposes, it is time that we put a stop to this. This NATO deal that Mr. Trump has been handling. I'm impressed. It's time to stand up to the nonsense in the world. Show our stern and firm leadership. It's important. Not only for us, but our posterity. Remember, we're here for a very short time. And what we do right here, right now, matters for eternity. There's other people besides us. We should not be spending the inheritance of our great-grandchildren. The deficit in this nation has to be taken care of. I'm still yet waiting for action on this. The firm grip that corporations have on our government through lobbies and through backdoor deals. It's ridiculous. And another thing, term limits. Let's discuss term limits. We need new blood, new ideas with firm resolve. It's time to shake the basket a little 
and find out what's on the bottom of the basket. So we really need some changes in America. Back to this Iran, North Korea, and China, all of these threats around the world. We've got to remember, we're America. And we have great men and women that are able and willing to stand up and defend her proudly. And I want to take time right now to thank each and every one of them. Past, present, and future. Anybody that stands up and protects our great freedoms of our democratic position in the world. We've got to honor these men and women. Take care of them. This is the bread and butter of America. These proud Americans willing to step up at a moment, anytime, day or night. And take the blunt of the pressure. Imagine yourself standing on the beachhead of Normandy. That great day when those proud Americans and many other nationalities stormed to liberate Europe. Those are great men and women. Heroes. Each and every one of them. Even if you were a truck driver... In the carpool, motor pool. These are men and women that stepped up to change America, to keep it free, and to spread freedom around the world. I love America. America is the best nation on the planet. Do we have hiccups? Yes, we do. And we've got to stand up and we've got to admit to each and every one of those. Why? So we can resolve them. So we can maintain public trust. We don't need inapt people in our government. We've got bright men and women with fabulous ideas ready to take charge. We need to really take time. And think about that. Uncertainty in the world will always be there. We've got to be able to stand up to it. Talk to your children about this. And reassure them. America. America is strong. We have the capability to unite under a cause. When the pressure is on, there's no place on earth like America. When you grumble this sleeping giant and poke him, you'd better know what you're poking. Because the resolve of America, you may not want to push that. But anyway, with that being said... We need to understand the great men and women of this country are here to protect us. I want to take time and listen to a YouTube video. It's called The Pride of the Pacific. And it's about the proud men and women. The Marine Corps that takes care 
of America and beyond. Let's listen in. The 11th Mu composited in September 2018 for deployment this year. It's composed of a ground combat element, Battalion Landing Team 35. A logistics combat element, Combat Logistics Battalion 11. An aviation combat element, BMM-163 reinforced. Get some freedom fries! First company, first recon. After composite, our Marines begin a grueling pre-deployment training cycle composed of four major training exercises and multiple unit level training events. The mission of the ACE since we've been here in 11th Mew so far it's been to maintain a ready to deploy squadron. Uh, we'll take a challenge anytime, anywhere. The mission of the BLT in relation to the MU was uh, we were the first and foremost uh, ground combat element. So we were there to be that frontal assault and make sure that we could establish a beachhead in order for the combat logistics team to come and support us or in this combat we could uh, locate and close with and destroy the enemy. The mission of the CLV in relation to the MU is uh, providing logistical support, fuel, water, heavy equipment, you know, power generation, water transport, um, maintenance, uh, even explosive ordnance disposal. During the workups, working with the Navy in the beginning, it wasn't as easy as I would have thought it was going to be. But uh, honestly, right after that, once we meshed together and we knew each other's jobs, we actually realized that we needed each other a lot more than expected. So once that um, brotherhood and cohesion came in, uh, we, uh, we understood what our mission was and we worked together to get it accomplished. I used to have this idea that like we work the hardest. No one works as hard as us. And then I saw the air department and when they're not calling in aircraft and not working the flight deck, they're fixing pad eyes, they're busting rust, they do all the same stuff we do, and they do it for longer hours. We 
have to realize that we are still under the Navy. That us being together, working together, to know each other, what each other does, is very important on land and sea. I think the integration is very important to the knowledge and the morale and integration with all of us together. What our pre-deployment training cycle did was prepare the MU to be our nation's 911 force, capable of responding to crises from humanitarian assistance to contingency operations. With that experience and knowledge gained, the 11th MU embarked on deployment. The more notable exercises that I believe that we part in was uh, for probably the junior enlisted, the first notable one was in Hawaii, just because that was the first, uh, you know, here we are, we're on deployment. I mean, we're still in the States, but it was our first introduction to the jungle. We've never been in the jungle before, so that one was uh, kind of a little stressful. Our men and women are ready to go at a moment's notice. The Pacific Pride, the American Jewel. I'll tell you, these young men and women, they are ready at a moment's notice. I would not want them coming after me. I'll tell you that much, people. So, instead of military... Maybe these people should step up to the diplomatic table and start talking instead of doing aggressive maneuvers. We will step up to the cause, wherever the cause might be in the world. And people need to know that. Thanks to Mr. Donald Trump, our president... We are seeing a shift in this policy. This is always a good thing when we stand for what is right. You may not always agree with what the president does, but that office, it's a sacred office. And we entrust these individuals to do the right thing. A lot of men that have been in that office have not done a good job. But who am I to say? I'm just me. But my voice, it's a proud voice. It's an American voice. My father was one of those World War II veterans. And by God... If it comes down to it, I'm older now, but if I have to stand for my country, I would proudly do so. 
I don't agree with what my country does all the time, but I do believe in the American way. I believe in freedom. I believe in the thought being free, the ability to make your path. America is strong. America might be polarized right now. We've been there before. There's great men and women ready to protect our shores, defend it proudly at any moment. So reassure your children today that there are very qualified, very capable individuals ready to protect them. And we should reassure our family if they struggle with these things. Mental health is not easy to deal with. And when we have mental health issues and we are watching this bombardment of negative flow all the time with our 24-hour news cycle, it can be devastating. So take some time and reassure those that need the reassurance. Empathize with people. We need that. We need a lot of that today. Not only here in America, but around the world. Well, that's going to basically wrap it up for today's cast. As always, I want to open up for a free speech time. If you would like to spend five minutes on the microphone and tell it how it is, this is free speech time. And if we have nobody ringing in, we're going to wrap it up. We want to just say thank you for joining us. Please share, like, and subscribe. We're going to be here each weekday morning, right around 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And we're going to discuss various things. Since we're in this election cycle, we are definitely going to be highlighting a lot of the election stuff. But also things that matter right here in America. God bless you. God bless America. And keep your family safe, warm, and educate them. Ed Waters, out.